Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. All right, well, we are back with part two, talking about big picture topics at the club right now. Obviously, Nick and Dan still on the clock with me, tweeds. Pulling an all-nighter to make this happen, so uh, make sure to go to Twitter at Joe Tweedy and, and share the love. Let him know that you really appreciate this. Um, obviously, gentlemen, the second, or I guess first off, if you missed the first part, go back and listen. We talked about the director of football slash technical director slash sporting director, whatever you want to call it. Uh, really, really good chat there. Um, but for this one, we're actually going to talk about the manager's position role. Obviously, we'll talk about Conte because he is currently there. And we'll talk about the future since there's been so much discussion, kind of if he's going to stay or not, and, and just open it up to, to bigger pictures. So, um, again, Dan, Nick, gentlemen, thank you for, for coming back, obviously staying on the line, essentially. Um, but we, we've got a pretty exciting episode coming up obviously we already had one in the books but now we're going to go back to back on this dan um not too often we get to do something this awesome before we we head to london that's that's true i feel like you're teaming me up to talk about the fact that we are indeed going to <laughs> london and Nick, Foreshadowing. i think brandon did a, did a really good job of making a wonderful segue there uh, and i heard people love it when you mention a segue in a podcast so yep. bonus points but yeah we will be at the atlas fulham uh, this coming uh, Saturday, which will be March 31st, it's like the last day of March uh, from 3 p.m. till question mark, Nick, uh, which is how any good party should go. But exactly. we'll be recording a live cross podcast with our friends at the Chelsea fan cast. Uh, people like Joe Tweeds might even make it out and enjoy a, a beer with us uh, or two. And so, uh, yeah, we, we're excited to go back. And uh, Nick, I think we have to thank Excel Tours for that. A hundred percent. These guys have made it uh, amazing uh, for us to be able to go over three times in a 
in a 12 month span, essentially, um, or 11 month span. So it's been incredible to work with them. Just a, a major shout out to Charlotte and the entire team over there for uh, making it easy on us, uh, even when we book the wrong flights and <laughs> have to have to go figure that part out again. But um, but yeah, we are super 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 excited to to meet up with Joe and the rest of the Chelsea FanCast team again. We're gonna work on the on the recording part of this. The the live the live recording, as we found out last time, was a little rough. So we're gonna do our best on that. But if you are a a, a UK listener and are interested in coming out, just DM. We're we're open to this whole deal we want as many people to come out and enjoy it as possible uh if you're an american or, or from another part of the globe and are coming over for the spurs match uh, and are a friend of the pod you're more than welcome to to join there's no cost except to uh to have a beer and have a laugh it'll be uh, an amazing time it will be and obviously if you don't like the recording quality i suggest you just show up and enjoy it in person because there Ooh. are no <laughs> complaints in that room no i i only tease a little bit um so the other thing that we're going to be doing in this episode we have more yappa questions again these people won cpo shares for submitting their questions if you want to get your audio question played live on the podcast Head to our website, londonisbluepodcast.com forward slash questions, and you can leave them there. We've got some really good ones that are going to help tee up uh, this part of the episode. So uh, first off, uh, here we have one about squad players. I noticed recently that we've spent a lot of money on squad rotation players like Barclay, Drinkwater, Emerson, Giroud, Zabacosta. Looks like about 100 million pounds. Um, do you guys think that these signings were made just to fill – uh, the squad was the squad really that thin and it needed to, I guess, uh, get more numbers in. Um, and you guys think that uh, going forward, we're going to be making more of the splashy signings this, this uh, transfer window? Well, obviously, Tweeds, this kind of ties into everything. The last episode being the director of football and someone who would be in charge of the scouting network to pull these guys in. Um, but what do you make of the two questions that they ask is saying one was the squad that thin when we started the season and two do you think these were mainly signed for squad players without the intention of them pushing for first team places well I mean I think we, we I, I might be right in saying that we started the season with like two fit midfielders or one one and a half midfielders so yeah uh, I mean I, I think everyone remembers back to that sort of the weeks leading up to the I say the week the week leading up to the Burnley game and it felt like we didn't really have that many players. Um, but I think we had like 13 players or something like that available at the time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think the, the the depth within the squad, or even just actually the, the squad itself, was not necessarily in the in the greatest shape coming up to uh, kicking off the Premier League season. And you know, it got to the point where I remember when we played Tottenham and, and Bakayoko sort of volunteered to play on sort of half a hamstring. Um, you know, to sort of uh, to j- just really to, to play and, and give us a midfield option. So, I mean, in that respect, yeah, I mean, I, I don't think we really started the season with what I consider to be a, a particularly strong, a particularly strong squad. And, and to, to sort of further the point in terms of the signings, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it kind of depends on, on where you think Chelsea should be, you know, should be going as a club. I mean, there, there seems to be this sort of trend on social media that if you think Chelsea should sign really top players that you're kind of entitled to I don't know you're sort of an entitled millennial or something like that but um, you know <laughs> the, the the fact that we are in for players like Drinkwater and, and uh, Barkley and Giroud and players of this nature I mean to me suggests that yeah it's, it just really comes from just a lack of coherent strategy overall I think in the summer um, a lot was made of, of Conte not getting his first targets um, I think you know again there's, there's probably an entire podcast in that that kind of uh, that sort of period of history, that from May until probably July of, of last year, where Conte was sort of in and out, and various bits and pieces were going on at the club politically, and, and Conte had uh, potentially was leaving the club. All these sorts of things that were happening. Um, so you know that that is is maybe not necessarily the easiest thing to unpick in this question. But yeah, I mean, I, I think you know there was something last season where Conte was saying that he wanted more depth. Um, for me, the way that you add depth is you, you bring in players who who can immediately challenge for first team positions. So, um, yeah, you bring in someone who can compete with William and Pedro for a starting spot, and then your squad depth you know happens to be a player who played quite prominently last season. So, you know, when you rotate or when you bring in players off the bench, invariably that person has, has probably proven themselves to be a pretty handy player at some point, rather than I think buying depth just for depth's sake, which I think is a little bit of what we've done. Um, 
I think my, my main concern, particularly with this sort of strategy that we've had in place for maybe the past two, three seasons, is that, you know, when I, I listened to Frank Lampard talk about when Chelsea signed Michael Ballack, he he was very open about how he saw it as a challenge to him, how it made him uh, become a better player, how it pushed him more in training. And this wasn't a competition with with sort of Balak in terms of like a, a, a dislike thing. It was just the fact that, OK, Chelsea are bringing in top players and they have top players in every position. I have to I have to put that pressure on myself to perform. And I look at the squad and I look at someone particularly like Eden Hazard. You know, I mean, we haven't since we bought him. There is not a single player in that squad that can put him under any pressure. I mean, you may look at the form of William at the moment, let's say potentially, but if he were to factor in the entirety of his Chelsea career, I don't think William or Pedro or anyone has really put any pressure on Hazard as a starting player. Again, with Diego Costa, you know, there was very been very little, there was very little competition for him this season with Morata. Morata was just playing, you know, game after game after game where his his confidence was clearly particularly low and he wasn't playing particularly well. And yet Batshuayi was sat on the bench. And I look through the squad and I, just, I do not see that competition for places that necessarily means that every single starting player has to be at their very, very best every single game. Because, you know, if, if I'm if I'm N'Golo Kante, and I wouldn't say that this is Kante's mentality, but I know for a fact that I'm going to be playing in every single big game. It doesn't matter who, you know, who's who's fit, who's not. I'm going to play every game. The same with Hazard. It, I think far too many Chelsea players currently just walk into that first, uh, first 11 with zero competition. It doesn't matter how badly they're playing. They just sleepwalk into the first 11. I think it's a little bit why you see some of the patchy form we've had, particularly sort of 2015-16, the whole Mourinho and the transition to Hiddink. I don't think there's enough accountability. I don't think there's enough competition within the squad for places. Um, and, you know, partly that's fueled by the fact that I think even when we do have some very good young players coming through, Callum Hudson-Odoi being someone who who could probably challenge uh, the sort of front three players for a position within that lineup, but because he's not necessarily taken seriously by the manager... You know, it's difficult for the senior players to see him as a viable threat. So, yeah, I mean, to, to sort of sum up the, the, the kind of response there, I just think the the strategy of, of buying these sort of squad players, it's just really, really not backfiring. I don't think it promotes to, to any kind of degree sort of competitiveness that, that kind of drives squads forward. And, you know, I look, at, I look at Manchester City, they have Bernardo Silva, who would probably start for the majority of teams in the Premier League as a sub at the moment, which means, you know, Sterling and Sané, both know they have to play out of their skins every game. Otherwise, they're going to be on the bench pretty quickly. Same with their midfield. You know, they have a load of options in midfield. Ilki Gundogan, who's one of the great, you know, kind of ball players, doesn't get in the starting eleven that often because of, of De Bruyne and Silva, etc. But he's of a sufficient standard where you would say, OK, if I'm not playing well, I'm definitely going to get dropped for, for this guy. So I think we've, we've kind of, you know, in the sort of pursuit of, of breaking even and financial fair play, we've kind of gone for these sort of let's buy four or five kind of average to OK-ish players instead of maybe putting all our eggs in one one particular basket. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I think we've we've just really thrown money at, uh, at quantity over quality, whether we could have maybe spent, I think we still spent like 200, what, 200, 300 million pounds. We, we spent a lot of money in the summer. Um, I know people will look at sort of the net spend levels, et cetera, but whether you, you spend that on, say, two or three really significant players, you know, 80 million pound plus players, and then kind of bolster the, the, the squad with the academy players, which would be ideally what you would do going forward is that you would maybe try and bring in, say, two academy players every three seasons to be a proper part of the squad. You know, you kind of build uh, build from there, obviously bring the bring the guys back from loan for, for next season, your Zoomers, Van Hinkles, uh, maybe your, your Loftus-Cheeks, Tammy Abrahams, etc. Players that are, are obviously good enough to play for the club. They may not be superstars, but, you know, that means you don't have to worry about going out and spending significant amounts of money on drink waters and Barclays and, and other players of that nature. So I think, yeah, for me, it's just it's just a really just a, probably the most obvious and, and outward expression of Chelsea's lack of direction is this just let's just bring any people in approach, which I don't think really has suited the club. And I just, yeah, my, my, my one sort of goal for going forward is that we do we do kind of realise that this approach isn't working. Um, and also that, you know, the the biggest issue, I think, in the squad at the moment is just, just the lack of competition for places and bringing in more kind of average players to fill out the squad is not going to not going to put the pressure on certain players to perform or, or really sort of reach the heights that their, their kind of ability dictates. You know, I think so often we've had... Uh, yeah, past particularly the past maybe two three seasons, players who just, as I said, just walk into the starting eleven and they don't feel that pressure to perform. And I think that is reflected by some of the uh, the patches of form that we go through. Um, you know, I'm not saying that Chelsea teams historically, you know, before even when we were winning titles under Mourinho and, and Ancelotti etc., were, were at 100 percent every week. But 
you know, they, they were under a certain pressure to perform uh, and, and they kind of felt the pressure, as Lampard would say, to, to play to a certain level, to maintain standards, to hit that kind of benchmark of performance. So I don't think that exists. And I think that really is just an, an, an off, kind of a, an offshoot of this pursuit of, of squad players. Um, hopefully it changes in the summer. I think it will need to. You know, again, I think we're, we're going to go on to this, but sort of the managers were looking to target are not really going to be able to play the sort of football that they would like to play with, you know, Danny Drinkwater in midfield, with... I don't know, even someone like Bakayoko, for example, who was bought as a first-in player, but very much looks like a squad player at the moment. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one. Um, but I think it's it's really just the the, the, the direction the club's been. It's, a, yeah, just a manifestation of the directionless uh, yeah, philosophy that we've had for, for maybe a number of years now. And I, I would add to that because I, I think there are a few considerations, and then I'll let, I'll let Dan chime in after me, but um, I, I do think this... This question tied really neatly back into the philosophy discussion that we had in the first part. So if you haven't listened to that, uh, please do, because I think that sets the table for what this is um, and how the how the club structure could eventually uh, reach all the way down into even, uh, you know, who's available for a potential manager to pick. Uh, so that ties in neatly. I do think that there are considerations that Dan Levine and others uh, have brought up with Brexit and, and how, um, you know, certain law could change in, in terms of signing players and things like that. So there could be, you know, there's been a sneaky indication that, you know, the Barclays and the Drinkwaters, um, those types of signings were um, made with a strategic purpose. Um, now we'll, we'll see if that pans out and, and I'm sure there will be lots of discussion on, uh, on why not just bring in the Academy if you're going to buy British players, I get it. Um, but there's a, uh, there's a consideration there. And then I do think the last piece, and it's a very important piece as we, as we venture into the whole manager, Mary go around situation that we're in is the man management of, of the team. So I think Chelsea have been, uh, because of player power and, and manager uh, personalities in the past, and you could point to one in particular that I'm sure we're all thinking of, that have their favorites. And, you know, I think Joe made a really easy point that, you know, Eden Hazard doesn't have competition. He doesn't have a peer on this team. That's something we've said in the past. You know, William's out playing him right now, but... Uh, over the over the larger uh, landscape of the season, like Eden Hazard's been the better, more consistent player, and he's the most talented player on the squad. And Golakante is the same as Pilicueta is the same. Uh, Tebow is the same for the most part. So I, I do think that the man management of whoever is brought into this stand has to be really, really good. And if you if you buy five world class players and they're and they're all vying for the for the three spots like Manchester City has that you're able to make sure that the three that don't get in or the two that don't get in uh, stay with the team, stay active or keep pushing the team forward because that is how the best teams in the world do it. And you're going to have to make sure that you can appropriately rotate and, and provide time and balance the lineup. And you know, I, I think you know, enough people have praised Manchester City this season that you probably don't need another person to do it. But you know the way that you know Pep Guardiola has managed to make the majority of these players happy to rotate uh, a little bit through injury, whether it be Aguero or uh, Jesus, you know, kind of being injured, having to rotate up front. But, you know, he's found a way to do it. And I think whomever our next manager is uh, will be the beneficiary of increased improvement of performances if they're able to make uh, a caliber of of highly paid individuals and, and excellent players happy at the fact that they have signed to play for Chelsea. And I think that leads us pretty well into our our finally our second section, which to me is um, is is going in. Even though I said I don't want to talk about this on the show anymore, I think it, it I, makes you re- actually you actually did. You, you're like I've we're not talking it. about Conte for the rest of the season. Yeah. End note. And now you're talking about it. Right. And I hate myself a little bit for breaking my own promise. <laughs> but uh, because because we have Joe on the show and because Joe has a, a really good perspective on this thing, we are going into this section uh, and I'm only going to say it once. So we shouldn't have to say it anymore. We're going into this section uh, with the clear indication that Antonio Conte will not be at the club um, past uh, the end of this season. So uh, that is what we're looking at. We're, we're, we're forecasting a future where Antonio Conte uh, does not 
uh, is is not a part of the club for for some pretty obvious reasons. And we are looking ahead to uh, pairing the first part of this show, the philosophy and the and the and the structure and and some of the things that Joe will mention in terms of like the overall philosophy uh, that's that's kind of emerging. Um, around, you know, a longer term approach with, you know, what a potential manager might look like within that construct. So, and, and, yeah. and Nick, I think you made a good point there, too, that, you know, we're talking about reasons that, you know, it's not a tenable solution and uh, a long term prospect to keep Antonio Conte and, and Chelsea together. And then I would say, you know, Joe, outside of the, you know, the, the, the transfer issues, which, you know, clearly was something that caused him strife when he was at Juventus, um, potentially his inability to, you know, not continue to bring it up all the time during a press conference <laughs> and, and maybe the style of football that's currently being played. Are there any other things outside of that, as you see, as to reasons that why we're here today? talking about this manager who, you know, ended up winning the Premier League in his first season, uh, being gone in essentially a 24-month uh, process. I, I think probably my my biggest criticism of him this season, and I'm, I kind of, I take your point that we probably don't want to tread over many uh, sort of pathways. I think a lot of people have spoken about transfers, etc. But I think the the thing that I've seen this season is just a, a general inflexibility to to his coaching and, and his methods. Um, you know, I think last season you could point to a lot of players. You know, you could look at Kante's improvement on the ball. You could look at the transformation of of Azpilicueta from a, a kind of right back slash left back into playing centre half. David Luiz's sort of rejuvenation, Victor Moses from from coming from a very much a journeyman player who wasn't able to really establish himself at pretty much any of the clubs that he, he went to to become an integral part of the league. We've we've kind of lost that innovate that kind of innovation, that kind of coaching approach that he had probably first time round where he was very much on focusing on improving the players that he's had. And I think my my criticism would be particularly players like Bakayoko and Morata who, you know, in, in in at least in my opinion, were brought to be starters. They have either regressed significantly um, or I've, I've seen no major improvement. And, you know, I, I look at Morata as someone who, you know, you, you just read the words from from Gianluigi Buffon about him not being sort of mentally the, the, the kind of the toughest player that he's he's been around and that he occasionally needs sort of an arm around the shoulder approach. And the fact that Morata went through this, this you know, it wasn't a dip in form. It was it was months of, of poor play compounded by lack of, of goals and... I think his relationship with the fans has suffered because of the, the sort of the way that he that he plays the game, the sort of expecting of free kicks, etc. But I would expect someone of, of Conte's obvious talents to to have corrected that or to have approached that in a slightly different manner. And I, I look again at Bakayoko, who I actually felt particularly, you know, the first couple of games, he actually looked a pretty useful player. And I was thinking, you know, this is going to be a guy who's who's going to really kick on from what we saw at Monaco. And yet he's another one who, either through the tactics that he's been given or the coaching that he's been given, who has sort of seemed to, to regress from that kind of early form there. Um, I think, again, a lot of players are not playing as well as they were last season. Um, partly, I think that's due to how Conte handles the, the squad and the squad management. You know, I think Marcus Alonso is, is kind of running on fumes at this point in the season, and we have a, a fully fit Italian international now who can pretty much deputise for him, you know, at least once a week. And yet, I think Alonso still is is running on fumes for the most part. And again, um, I think it, it's that aspect for me which has been the disappointing part. And you know, I'm, I'm not going to pick on that. He's obviously, you know, fairly. Uh, you know, fairly kind of touchy relationship with the board at this point, but from a, a pure management and coaching standpoint, you know, I think maybe maybe last season that switch to the back through that was his uh, royal flush, you know, for one hand, and yet this season new hand, new cards. I think teams have adapted to the system. Um, a lot of teams obviously just play the same shape as us now, but I think even teams who are not playing at City have gone back to a four-three-three. They've kind of figured out these sort of plays and a method of coaching and this sort of uh, this style of coaching and and, and possession um, that, that Conte favours has been figured out. And, and there has been really no no kind of way of, of him, or there's been no sort of obvious uh, way that I've seen for him to kind of counteract this. Whether it's uh, you know to go slightly more direct against Barcelona or, or, or just to go you know play slightly differently, I've not seen any real kind of transition um, from a stylistic standpoint in the way he plays. Say it's same personnel, it's it's same shape, it's same tactics. 
weeks. It's uh, the same kind of ball possession, sort you know, same kind of way of progressing the ball up the pitch. Um, and yeah, I think you, you kind of combine that with, as I said, this, this kind of uh, regression of, of certain players, particularly those who were meant to be starters. And, you know, I think Bakayoko was de- was definitely a Conte player. Murata, you know, him or Lukaku, definitely uh, Conte picks. Definitely someone that Conte obviously has, has shown that he like, would like to have worked with in Murata. And, you know, it's, it's, it's this lack of uh, kind of, you know, lack of progress that they made, particularly when they when they hit sort of uh, various slumps in form that I find quite alarming. And that's primarily why I think, you know, long term, you know, it's not like in Conte that I, you know, I know that he likes to work with kind of established, experienced players who who don't have to have that kind of that sort of element of developmental coaching and and maybe some of that sort of uh, man management that younger players need. I think potentially that's why he's he's looking at, at a different options for himself to go and work with a, maybe a team who has more experienced players or or, or players who have a, a slightly more kind of mature mentality. And yeah, long term, I, th- I think this this is a uh, this is a rebuilding product project at Chelsea. I think Conte's mentioned it himself. You know that he does see that this is a a transitional period, a transitional kind of uh, yeah to to a new style at Chelsea. And I think you know looking at, at how he's handled this season and you know take all of the kind of noise and nonsense aside purely from a coaching perspective the the lack of, of progress that certain players have made and, and, and the style that we're playing which has been uh, in most cases found out now by by a lot of teams um, that for me is, is, is the main reason that we're kind of at the point we are I mean you can I said you can put all of the the relationship stuff with the board and all the transfer stuff in a box and put that into its own section but it, for, from a pure footballing perspective I don't think that you would want a manager who is shown this season maybe he's he's not the kind of manager that we need for the style of players that we have and potentially going to buy in the future you, you, you wouldn't necessarily want to keep him around uh, for the long term we do have a yappa another one this one speaking as we've been talking about managers and chelsea and everything about that and so i think this one might open a bit of the uh the can of worms as we get into this discussion <laughs> hey brandon nick and the team my question is Assuming that Antonio Conte is leaving in the summer, who do we want to see replace him? I'm a little bit exhausted with the, you know, strong philosophy, regimented football style manager that we saw with Jose Mourinho and Antonio Conte. I'd like to see some free-flowing football for once, something attractive. Um, Tell me who you guys think. I know we tried that with Villas-Boas and Scolari, but I wouldn't mind seeing... Carlo Ancelotti again. Um, yeah, so let me know what you let me know what you guys think. Interesting. Trying to bring back the ex girlfriend to see if they can make it work, huh? It's uh, <laughs> so, never we've never been there before. Yeah, we've <laughs> no, never been never. there before. Bold strategy, I think, on that one. Um, Dan, you can go ahead and kind of lead us into this one, especially since you screenshotted uh, the tweets with Tweeds. Uh, and Alex McGovern. Um, but as far as if we are to play the assumption game that Conte isn't here, um, interesting potential candidates to replace him, I think. Yeah. And, you know, so so there was a really nice piece that uh, Alex put together about uh, Sari from uh, Napoli and why he would potentially represent the best option to replace, you know, Conte. And, you know, I think uh, Joe responded saying that uh, Tuchel Sari uh, would be the 1A, 1B, and that uh, Yardim would be the option two. And so I, I think we just can kick it off into that. And, and you know, we've pulled some stats and some numbers that we can kind of use in our conversation. But uh, 1A, 1B, what's the, the <laughs> biggest differentiating factor in that uh, hair splitting contest, Joe? Um, I, I don't. To be honest, I, I don't think there is much, uh, much of a difference. But I, I think for me, it's uh, really, and I, I think it, it ties back to the, the the question as well that we've had probably for the past five years this quite sort of dogmatic approach and, and very sort of yeah, not, not to sort of counter attacking and, and, and solid uh, football, which you know some people enjoy. Um, although I, I never thought I'd see the day where. Manchester United were described by pretty much everyone as functional. Um, you know, anyone who's who's grown up watching the Premier League has, has always associated at least United with having a, a very attacking, gung ho, will score six, you score five kind of mentality. And to see Mourinho completely strip that out of the club is is kind of satisfying. What I suppose also from a you know from maybe a slightly nostalgic point of view, it's quite sad to see United just you know just kind of 
taken to this sort of depths of just having a completely defensive mindset which is quite strange but yeah I mean for, for me I think I think Sarri and, and Tuchel are, are at least the leading candidates um, I, mean, I put Tuchel as 1A because I, I do I mean slightly in terms of slight percentages shade him ahead of Sarri um, and I think that's that's probably more to do I, I find Tuchel to be um, at times he has the ability or he has shown the ability to be very structured and, and, and take an approach to a certain game there was a, a famous uh, game where Dortmund beat I think Bayern Munich for the first time in absolutely ages in a league game and uh, you know he typically plays like a 4-2-3-1 4-3-3 type formation and he switched to a back uh, pretty much a back five and played like a 5-2-3 against Bayern uh, completely perplexed them and just sort of you know, played them off the pitch and it was just a real good sort of uh, a piece of coaching analysis and, and work from him to sort of figure out the, the slight differences whereas Sari is, is just very much a, a disciple of playing um, I would say a, a very loose 4 3 3 and that it can be different um, different kind of setups throughout the game but you know he's he's very much about uh, you know we are going to play this system in this style of football and, and, and this is how it's going to be sort of going forward regardless of who we're playing I think Tuchel has that that element of adaptability um, from at least from a, a shape standpoint um, that that you can you can maybe see would would make him a slightly more flexible appointment particularly I think given that Chelsea have I think as you said a little bit before, uh, earlier Nick we have been playing this sort of back three previously so you know the, the transition from that to a back four may be slightly slow um, but I think he's obviously shown the ability to to figure that into his coaching so yeah I mean there is as I said that those are kind of the slight nuances and I just think Sari is is very much this is how we're going to play regardless of who we're playing and I think Tuchel gives you that, that little bit of variation which uh, yeah has, has seen some pretty good results from in, in, in the past So Joe I find it interesting um, that these are three of the candidates that have have emerged I mean these are certainly not um, the kind of brand standard names that you would associate with uh, with the Chelsea uh, head coach or um, you know first team manager uh, you know we We've certainly heard that, you know, Carlo would be welcome back at the club, for, you know, and I, I think that everyone thinks super highly of him as a, as a human being. And that makes a lot of sense. Or, you know, in the past, we've heard that, like, the the tables just being set for, for Lampard and Terry to come back and, and tag team this thing <laughs> to, to success. And, the Dudley uh, boys of Chelsea. <laughs> exactly. And they're, they're coming back with uh, with Fury. So, I, you know, there, there are a lot of names out there. It's 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 encouraging that there are some new kind of up and coming managers uh, with Tuchel, Sari or, or Hardim that would be. Um, just a different style and I think would tie into an evolving philosophy of the club, right? Yeah, and I think Tuchel for me is is probably the standout candidate at this point. And, you know, this is a guy who, I mean, if you were to kind of describe his sort of footballing sense, it's, you know, this is a guy, I think he spent almost a year being kind of mentored by Pep Guardiola. So a lot of his philosophy is this kind of Hugo de Posicion or whatever the, the Spanish uh, way of saying possession football is effectively, uh, you know, a lot of it's founded on these principles. And I think what we, what you see from, from Tuchel and I think again one of the uh, slight misrepresentations of, of that style of football is that you, you know you see a lot of kind of ineffective just passing the ball between defenders and side to side football possession for possession's sake but with kind of Tuchel it said it is this kind of Guardiola-esque style of football but kind of pushed through a German prism so there's a lot more kind of efficiency and and I think that in some cases I'm not going to say it's more purposeful than, than Guardiola but I, I do feel that sometimes when I watch Dortmund that there is a lot more um yeah, kind of a, a lot more emphasis on on playing that that kind of killer pass, maybe one or two passes sooner than what you would see in a in a typical kind of Guardiola system. Um, you know, he uses kind of possession as a weapon. It's not just sort of a philosophical cru- kind of crutch to lean on when you know they talk about dominating possession, etc. And for me, that's that's the really the, the the big reason I would like to bring him in because I think the way football is heading. You know, you've, you've already seen what Guardiola is achieving at City, but there is more emphasis now on being able to dominate your your opponent. With the ball and you know you, you watch uh, particularly at Dortmund Tuchel's teams have this ability to to kind of really drag opposition out of uh, out of position and you know whether it's uh, kind of Julian Weigel dictating the, the ball or he had uh, uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan etc in sort of midfield Rafael Guerrero all these sorts of great players who were fantastic on the ball this this possession based football that he plays is, is very much um, about being able to create kind of incisive passing lanes the ability to sort of play forward 
um, kind of at the right moment. I think sometimes my only real, although you can't really criticise City too much this season, but sometimes I do feel that they they're kind of moving the ball maybe a little bit too laterally at times and I think what you'll see with Tuchel is that if the opportunity to make that, that attacking pass is on you know he, his coaching kind of requires that you make that pass and you know again I, th- I think from looking at someone who is going to be able to integrate academy players I would imagine if, if Tuchel has had any kind of perception of, of Chelsea's academy setup, then he'd be probably rubbing his hands in, in delight because the way that his Dortmund plays is is very very similar to how Chelsea's academy side plays. It's a lot of pressing. You have a lot of very technical players who have the ability to kind of play in, in a variety of different areas. You can, you know, you have wingers who can play inside. They can play sort of strictly out wide. You can you can leave them up front. You have fullbacks who are comfortable at stepping into midfield, but also very very comfortable in the final third. And now I think you know you're, you're kind of looking at a guy who. I don't want to use the word total football in terms of the Dutch system, but you know he is very, very big on his his players being able to be very comfortable in different parts of the pitch. And you know the, the one obviously major drawback as you look at the current kind of first team squad, and you know we don't have that many players that you would describe as being uh, perfect fits within a, a Tuchel system at the moment. So you know there would need to be some sort of. Uh, kind of progression towards having a squad that was capable of playing his style of football um, but I think yeah in terms of sort of a progressive forward thinking manager uh, he definitely definitely fits the fits the bucket um, you know it's 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 Jurgen Klopp's football with a much better defensive shape you know it's not just sort of gung-ho throw you know 55 players forward at every attack and hopefully we score and, and maybe we'll, we'll try and do some defending it's it's a, a lot more kind of uh, you know there's a lot more thinking behind the, the structure as well so you know I think some people maybe will be worried about Tuchel and that you know he's he's not won trophies and that you know he hasn't doesn't have anything on his uh, CV but I think potentially Chelsea as a club we, we've kind of gravitated towards these these flavour of the months these kind of uh, managers who have who have won things and there's nothing wrong with that but I think particularly sort of going forward that this is going to be an appointment which is is potentially going to give us a slightly more long-term feel um, it's not just about this sort of immediate bounce back of, of you know if we potentially don't finish in the top four this season it's not sort of a, a bounce back appointment it's more of an appointment to the long term and as I said I think it, it really fits the the younger players that we have in the squad um, but I also think particularly if we're if we're able to, to keep players like Eden Hazard um, in the squad then I think actually we'll probably you'll probably see the best of Hazard under a manager like Tuchel because you know you look at what he was able to get out of Goetzer and and, uh, and Rouse and, and these kind of players who, who are not really anywhere near Hazard in terms of ability. You know, he was able to make them superstars, able to make uh, you know them, them players that Bayern Munich wanted to buy, etc. And they, they were never quite the same. Um, you know, once they kind of left the club. So, yeah, I mean, you know, he's he's got an ability to transform players to make players better. Um, you know, I think the the one thing that we we have in place, as I said, is this incredible academy, which is something that I think he'll be very very positive towards something that he'll he'll look at and see players that he can immediately use in his system you have the level of technique you have the level of, of fitness you have the level of athleticism that you would want to play in this kind of system um but um yeah i mean i think yeah he he is definitely definitely for me the the, the standout candidate who at least before he fell out with the uh, the, the director of football at Dortmund had shown the capability to work with them um i think at chelsea he's less likely to see his best players leave on a, on a kind of year by year basis and I think you know the the pulling power of the kind of players that he would want to see. I think that also would would kind of make it a very very good fit for him. Um, I can't see him. I can't see him at Arsenal. I think potentially the only other place he would he would probably end up could be somewhere like PSG or or Madrid. Um, but yeah, I mean well, you're looking I'll, at really quick. Arsenal think they have him locked down. Um, there are a ton nah, of reports out the, there. They, that, he that he's a, has that fractured relationship with the uh, the director that came in. Yeah, they're, um, I can't remember, is it Raphael Hunigstein, the, the sort of German reporter, has said that he's definitely not going to Arsenal and I think he's uh, he's got a pretty good in there. And, and, and I think, yeah, as, uh, as Nick mentioned, the relationship with the Dortmund guy, I mean, that was I think that was the reason that, that Tuchel did leave Dortmund was because of this uh, This guy was still there. They, they fell out over, uh, I think, Oliver Torres, who's an Atletico Madrid player, whether he was going to come or not. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I think from a, from a general footballing standpoint, this would be a, a significant departure to what, to what we've had from the past maybe five years with Mourinho and uh, and Conte um, but a positive direction you know I think it's, it's definitely a positive step in, in that direction to play a slightly more aesthetic brand of football a slightly more attacking based uh, football you know more possession with with purpose 
and uh, yeah, I think it would do do fantastic uh, things for the club. He would be yeah, he would be my one A in, in that respect. And yeah, I think it, it opens the door up to the academy, and I think also the the players in the team who are slightly more technical, more ball players would, would definitely benefit from him as well. And yeah, as I said, you know, if if Klopp's style of football and, and Guardiola's style of football are beginning to sort of be the the kind of new thing that we're going to see emerging over the next couple of years, and it it probably wouldn't help to have a guy who probably kind of perfected Klopp's style in Germany and and has spent a lot of time learning from Guardiola so you have this sort of hybrid of as I said kind of tiki-taka through like a German prism so yeah I, I do really like him I think he'd be a great appointment and, and potentially uh, something who could uh, really transform the, the fortunes of the club on the pitch and uh, potentially as a, you know if we're looking back to the the sort of sporting director question then yeah you know I think you know you, you have someone who can develop and, and play according to a specific philosophy and you know the philosophy that Chelsea are looking at is, is very very similar to, to what Dortmund have in place at the moment which is you know get young players develop young talent and the only thing that we wouldn't be doing which I think Tuca would be in favour of is obviously not trying to sell you know some of that top talent on which was kind of in Dortmund's business model so yeah hopefully he's a, he's a potential fit going forward So who are the two youth players that would like be the biggest recipients of Tuchel coming in and being Chelsea's manager? I think you would see probably Dujon Sterling or Reese James. So or, or, or Lena, any of the, the fullbacks would be immediately, I'd say, um, very much in focus. Uh, whether Victor Moses could transform to being a natural right back or whether Azpilicueta actually has enough technical ability going forward. I don't doubt him defensively, but I remember particularly when he played right back, he wasn't very sort of uh, gung-ho go forward. So I think immediately you have an opportunity for someone to make a jump from under 18, under 19 football to being within the first team. And I think both James and Sterling have uh, have the athletic ability, have the technical ability that you would want from a from a right back under under Tuchel. Uh, Ola Aina potentially also comes back in as well. And I think probably from a... Um, from a midfield standpoint, maybe someone like Ruben actually comes back and has a, has a real significant shot to play in midfield. I think the one thing that, that, that Dortmund really likes uh, and, and what Tuchel really likes particularly from, from some of his, his midfielders is the ability to kind of carry the ball through midfield. And, and I think what we see with, with Ruben, particularly you know, before he was injured and some of the performances he's had for Palace, is when they have moved him into centuaries, his ability to, to beat people. I think he was, you know, he, I think he had the most take-ons for a midfielder before he was injured in the league. Um, that would be really, really uh, of use to him. I think Mount would also come to the picture and maybe maybe someone even like Lewis Baker, who was a little bit of a forgotten man at Middlesbrough, but, but would have that ability to control the game from that number six position that he has because Julian uh, Weigel was an incredibly important player uh, to Dortmund, the ability to, to make those quick passes, quick decisions and, and really to be sort of a, a focal point of the triangle system that he plays. So he has a lot of tr- passing triangles and passing diamonds, etc. And a lot of that is kind of underpinned by this number six position. And, you know, Weigel came from, I think, 1860 Munich, so he didn't come from a particularly... Uh, you know, sort of a, a dominant youth, youth system, but he had the right characteristics that I think fairly similar in some respects to, to what Baker can do from that position. So, yeah, I think you've got a couple that would be immediately very, very beneficial and probably any of the wide players as well. You know, he doesn't like, uh, when I say traditional wingers, when he actually coaches, he, instead of having like a, a typical pitch, he kind of has like an elongated oval. So he kind of takes out the, uh, the kind of, the, I suppose that you could say maybe the, the last sort of 10% of the pitch. By, by the touchline because he just sees no value in a winger running to the corner flag and putting a cross in. So, you know, I think if you were to to look at some of the wider players, particularly um, maybe someone like Hudson Adore or even someone like Jeremy Boger, who uh, maybe slightly can, can tuck in and, and play slightly more inside, um, then, yeah, I think those guys would also equally have some pretty, pretty interesting opportunities. But, you know, I think a general rule of thumb would be that I think players that you might previously have sort of discarded under Conte because they're maybe not experienced enough or maybe not, not uh, seen as having the kind of required defensive skill set will probably become slightly more prominent because he, he does favour um, technical players, ball players over people who can uh, just sort of run around for 90 minutes. And uh, I think that that's going to probably work in a lot of players' favour. Do you, do you think that there are any uh, negatives that should be looked out for with, with Tuchel or or sorry, or Hardim that would alert fans as to maybe like uh, think about their uh, think about the grass is greener kind of concept. Yeah, I mean, obviously, if you look at you look at Pochettino and you look at uh, Klopp, I mean, they, these are sort of similar similar styled coaches in that they have very principled ways of doing things and, and I think very obvious styles. Now that you know the 
the fact is, particularly you know, Klopp, it's taken him a, a you know a very very long period of time to kind of get to this point uh, at Liverpool when it took him obviously to get Mohamed Salah and he's going to have Naby Keita playing for him next season. So it's taken him a while to be in a position where you know that they've they've been able to kind of maybe attract the sort of players that help him play that style of football. Um, and I would say probably for every single manager, there's going to be a, a pretty significant transitional period and and whether Chelsea fans can can hack not necessarily competing for the title every season I don't know you know there, there is a, a an expectation particularly the what well, there has been for the last couple of seasons that Chelsea must be sort of in every competition until the latter stages until the very end I think if you are going to commit to someone like Tuchel or, or Jardim or Sarri you have to kind of realise that it's going to be such a huge transformation and even sort of some of our better players I'm looking at someone like N'Golo Kante could potentially struggle if you're if you're making him become a fulcrum of a ball playing midfield you know, I don't I don't see that as being his strength of being someone who can play these these sorts of passes and has that kind of intricate ability on the ball that, that Gundogan had you know in his prime before he was injured or any or, you know Mkhitaryan when he dropped into midfield or, or even someone like Weigl who is more of kind of a, a, a you know a deep lying playmaker sort of midfield so, you know, even our better players may potentially not necessarily fit the current style. So, you know, you could see a lot of movement in terms of players in and out of the club. You know, I think it's it's going to be realistically, uh, I think I mentioned a, a little bit earlier, potentially a two to three year rebuilding phase. Um, but, you know, this is all to do with the, the long term kind of, you know, the, the sort of long term strength of, uh, of the club and then the, the sustainability aspect. If it takes two to three years to bed something, which is going to you know, put us in good stead for the next five to ten years. I think maybe it's needed, you know, this, uh, I said that this, this philosophy of just winning is, is not really getting to the point now where we're kind of sort of dipping in and out each season of, of the Champions League places. And I think we're finding it slightly tougher than maybe we ha- we would have done maybe 10 years ago where a bad season meant finishing second. You know, now a bad season means finishing 10th or potentially fifth or sixth. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a, there's a sort of extreme in, in, in those opinions. And I think, yeah, to, to come back to, um, the, the sort of the, the potential downside yeah I just I just think it's going to be a, a question of time you know and it, it may be something that doesn't look like it's working in the first season and I think what we saw particularly with Andre Vs Boas and, and probably maybe the right decision in hindsight but you know there was a real kind of commitment to sort of change the way Chelsea were playing under him and that the first sign of uh of, of, of things going potentially wrong you know the, the club obviously sacked him so you know there, there is that element that, that, that things don't work out perfectly in the first season I think that's you know it would be fantastic if they did but I don't think necessarily you're hiring any of these guys to as I said to have this immediate bounce back system it's more about creating a culture and a system and, and a philosophy that aligns with the club's direction going forward that's going to keep them uh, keep them as, as a top European club and yeah you know that, that would be the, the only downside would be the, the, the length of time I'd say that it would take these managers to Kind of instill the level of of, of 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 the system and and the players and and you know it's it's a lot of coaching that goes into this kind of football and just the amount of time that it would take to get from A to B is, is something that I think is going to be difficult I would say for some fans to to handle. Do you think you know as we've talked about the you know the director position and now the the manager position? Do you feel like there's two people that would just be able to hit the ground running maybe better than others, two that are just paired up perfectly out of everyone that we've talked to over these last couple hours? Yeah, I mean, I'd say probably Campos and and, and Jardim are are kind of the obvious one and two combination. And I think that's kind of maybe why why Jardim may be the the kind of plan B for Chelsea. I think their, their relationship at Monaco was pretty exceptional, you know, Jardim was like, okay, just get me. I want a player that can do this, and 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 Campos would go out and find the player, and then that would kind of be it. And I think the success that they brought, obviously, you know, winning the league instead of PSG, is a pretty significant achievement given the kind of disparity in in money available. And and that season, you know, when they had Mbappe and and etc., you know, they did get to I think the quarters of the of the Champions League. So yeah, you know, in kind of like a three year period of rebuilding the club, they were very well aligned in in that sort of direction. And I think they both understand each other very well. So yeah, if you're looking for sort of a very very immediate one-two punch which could hit the ground running that I think Jardim and Campos are are pretty much two peas in a pod and they have proven the ability to do it before with uh, without spending a significant amount of money developing kind of what was already there and, and, and really just sort of getting on with the job which which may be kind of something that Chelsea might, might want to look at and pursue um, I think Jardim is is a very very good manager very good candidate I think he's, he's maybe a little less um, forward thinking when compared to maybe Sari and Tuchel and that he's slightly more pragmatic but 
you know maybe he could come in and, and sort of settle the ship and, and the direction for the next two to three seasons and and, and that maybe is what Chelsea needs is, is a kind of more of a settling manager who can transition them away from the kind of sort of more defensive style of football that's being played for the past you know sort of five years almost under Mourinho and, and Conte combined so uh, yeah I'd say those two would be your one-two punch if you were looking for an immediate bounce back and uh, with, with still kind of the long-term goal of, of becoming slightly more sustainable and slightly less uh, less short-term focused. I, you know, Joe, I, I find Sorry to be a really interesting yes. uh, prospect and he's, he's kind of the guy that we haven't really talked about yet, but I just wanted to get a, a couple of mentions in on him because I, I do think it's really interesting. Um, he has uh, kind of transformed the way that Napoli are playing football. Uh, Pep Guardiola has even come out and said uh, that um, the the style of football that Napoli perform is quote the most beautiful style or the most beautiful football in Europe. Um, probably the best side that we've faced, uh, and that was as of this year. So there there are you know for those who are you know done just simply done with winning consistently with a pragmatic style and want to go to a more beautiful style of football. Uh, he would he would look to be a really attractive option. Are there any thoughts or feelings that you have on him as it pertains, um, you know, in comparison to, to Tuchel, who is obviously your favorite? I, I mean, sorry would be a, an absolutely incredible addition to the club. I mean, I am a completely four three like a four three three disciple. If that was uh, the form, my kind of formation of choice, and yeah, I mean, anyone who has a passing interest in football, European football, if you watch a Napoli game. Just, just their their whole entire playing style. It's just incredible to watch. It's like it's like a computer game. You know, the passes fly around from various different players and places and angles, and they have a, a great controlling midfielder in in uh, Jorginho, and and just generally, you know, what, what he's been able to achieve. That I think is incredible. I think the, the only reservation with him would be the language barrier. I don't know if if I've not seen anywhere that he's uh, particularly fluent in English, and also whether he would leave Napoli at this point. I think he's. He's obviously building something there, which I think he's incredibly proud of. Um, very, very loyal to, to Napoli. And I remember seeing something from um, Koulibaly, the centre-half, saying to a lot of the, the kind of more senior and prominent players at Napoli that they wouldn't want to leave the club until they'd want to leave title together. So there is that kind of bond and loyalty there. But I mean, from a pure a pure footballing standpoint, I mean, he would be very, I would say, oh yeah, incredibly revolutionary at Chelsea. I mean, he has taken players like uh, Mertens and uh, who's the other guy Insigne who before he turned up were sort of five to ten goal a season players and he's turned them into sort of 20, 30, you know, 20 to 30 goal a season players and Koulibaly was, was a guy who you know I think he was a pretty decent centre half but I mean the, the difference that he has made in terms of his game from a technical standpoint particularly his passing and, and his general ability on the ball is incredible and I think yeah the, the, the kind of point you made in the notes about that Sari has got a very much a dislike of of, of going out and buying players he, he feels that you can actually really sort of spend the time and coach coach players uh, to a significant level and a lot of the players will say you know I've seen quotes saying you know I didn't really understand football until sorry was coaching me so you know he can take good players and he can make them into superstars he's shown that ability at Napoli um, I think that again the, the style of football would be incredible I think it would be very Premier League suitable it's very fast it's very quick the passing is very incisive but it kind of goes back to some of the, the downsides with Tuchel is that, is that do we have a squad that is built to to play this kind of fast-paced technical kind of football because he is, you know, our, our best midfielder by an absolute mile is N'Golo Kante and I don't see him fitting into a, a position currently you know in, in Sari's 4-3-3 he's, he's not kind of a Jorginho style playmaker who sits at the bottom of, a, of the three in midfield he's not kind of the other two who play either side in midfield either he's not you know and the same with, with, with Tuchel is you know they, their emphasis is, is on ball players who can who can recycle possession quickly who can make incisive passes who can carry the ball through midfield who, who can who are effective um, in the final third as well as obviously doing their defensive duties but it would be a, a huge change for Chelsea because I think so much of this this side is built on um, what they do without the ball and particularly the managers that we've had for the past five years. The focus has always been about their defensive skill set. Um, you know, I remember, always remember William, I think last season under Conte, I think he scored two goals and had an assist in the game and the first thing Conte mentioned was how good he was defensively and you're like, ah, come on, give him some, give him some credit for his attacking work. Um, and so yeah, Joe, he, what, you're, what you're saying is that any one of these three choices means that we won't have to suffer without the ball. 
heading into <laughs> next season. That's that, that's not there yet. I mean, that's I think that you know if you're looking for the the one tangible difference between at least the kind of group of coaches that we're being linked to in and Conte is their their first initial thought about football is, is is how we play with the ball, how we hurt the opposition. Whereas I think Conte and Mourinho, it's both how do we stop the opposition from playing. Uh, Mourinho's, you know, in a lot of books written about his footballing philosophy and that's always the, the common thread of a Mourinho team is the ability to stop other teams playing. Is is That's his first thought. And I think Conte this season, particularly, um, you know, when, when he's made comments about you know, other teams before we've played them, has, has also said, you know, it's about... It's about you know suffering without the ball. It's about playing without the ball. It's about our defensive work rate, etc. And you know, I think you would see a, a you know a huge uh, move from that kind of mentality to a mentality where, as I said, you kind of want to have possession, dominate the ball, and and be on the front foot and be attacking, be aggressive. Which I think probably from the, from the past five years, I think a lot of people would would be quite keen to to see something different. Awesome. Well, this has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, but I think that we would be silly not to. Uh, go ahead and make our own kind of selections of technical director and manager combo. Obviously, uh, I will throw Conte in the mix since he's currently in the hot seat. There's no sense for us to kick him out sooner than it might be happening. So let's go around and obviously we've heard Joe's um, you, you know selection on these two. Uh, but Nick, who, if you had the power, would you bring in uh, for your one-two punch to lead Chelsea next season? Oh, uh, that is very tough. Um, I I might be a little off here, but I, I think a Michael Ballack and uh, Maurizio Sarri combination could be really, really good. Um, really, really attacking, really strong. You know, I, I the, the thing I don't want to lose in, in whatever transition might happen or might not happen in, in the club is that, Chelsea have been known for for strength and for character and for for diehard kind of ability. And I don't want that to go away and and for the club philosophy to be, you know, baby shit soft like Arsenal. So um, <laughs> that's that absolutely has to be if, if I am if I'm a decision maker and I'm putting myself in, in Roman shoes for just a hot second, um, that would be my my. Um, my my plot to any to any combination would be that we have to maintain a mentality that makes sense and i'm i'm going uh i'm gonna go with balak and sorry for mine all right interesting i mean i thought about that too you know i thought maybe give balak some time because he'd be working with the manager who's experienced and knows what he wants that way he you know kind of buys him some time to learn some of the other parts of the role that he may not have but um i don't know dan what about you Where, where are you sitting at I mean, I love Balak, love, love Balak, but I, I think Joe has, you know, cha- changed my, my thought on it a little bit. I think Campos paired with uh, Tuchel, um, or Tuchel would be a, a pretty excellent pairing. And if we talk about, that, you know, I'm operating from the fear of if we don't hit top four, we're going to need to be pretty quick in all ways to rebuild and maybe escalate it just a little bit from a three or four year project to a two or three year project. And uh, maybe you would go with experience um, versus the, uh, the on the job training that uh, everyone's favorite German would need. You know, I, I don't like Tuchel. And the fact that he's only, you know, managed essentially for, for three different clubs. He's, he's about 10 years top flight experience is quite a bit. So, but, so but Luis Enrique is Brandon's choice. All no, right. Good job, no. BB. I just, hey, way to way to buck the trend. Good job. The way he flamed out at Dortmund, it, it just kind of concerns me. I, everyone else seems to be rest assured, so you don't have to take my opinion. Um, but with such a big change being put in, if it does, to me, just minimizing as much risk as possible. So you know, again, Balak Balletti don't have necessarily the experience. Um, if you bring in Asari, he's going to want to run the show, might not play as well with others. So to me, just the Hardim and Campos combo, as Joe said, they've worked together, they understand each other, they've had success together. This seems to be just the the most ideal situation when you're going to you know implement such a big change at the club. But you know, I, I, I do want to throw this out there to everyone um, who didn't ask a question to get submitted for a CPO share. 
If you want another chance to win a CPO share, go ahead, leave us a question on our website, londonisbluepodcast.com forward slash questions. Let us know what you think about this combination and we will pick a winner out of that. So again, all we're doing is just giving out prizes, having fun, hanging out. Um, but we do really want to hear from you guys and um, let us know what you think on that situation. So yeah. with that, with hey, that being- really, really, really quick, Brandon, yeah. uh, we do have to do our diligence here and give a shout out to the uh, to the Chelsea pitch owners. Um, they've been great to work with in terms of uh, being able to give away uh, shares um, that, that we're purchasing for this show specifically. So uh, shout out to them. Go follow them on Twitter at pitch owners. Go learn more about them. They are a crucial, crucial part of the the club structure and being able to hold the the freehold of, uh, of of Stanford Bridge intact. So I just needed to, to get that in there before we closed. That is Amen. very worthwhile. I'm glad that you jumped in and did that. Um, all right. Well, Joe, thank you again so much for jumping yes. on a super long call with us. Your insight, fantastic as always. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a pleasure as always, guys. We look forward to seeing you in London yes. in uh, in less than a week. Uh, for all of you, I hope you enjoy these, these episodes as we lead into our trip. Uh, we won't have one next weekend as we'll be doing some live pods with the Chelsea Pancast and other people from around uh, Stanford Bridge and whatnot. But we will have a lot of awesome content. So again, follow us on social media. Uh, that's where we're going to be putting everything. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. If you don't want the conversation to stop, make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. The London is Blue podcast presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.